I'm curious, like, what kinds of multi-spaces have you been a part of? And, and Paul talks about, you know, multi across language and culture and race and ethnicity and economics and politics and narrative and yeah, yeah, <laughs> liturgy. Yeah. So there are so many ways to go. But what, what comes up for you? Yeah, the first thing that comes up for me was uh, undergrad. So I went to a small liberal arts Christian college, 900 students on campus. Uh, but I was homeschooled. So like my... My world got so much bigger, even with that you know relatively tiny college. Um, and it came from a denomination, which was the the missionary church. And so we had a lot of missionary kids who were there. And it was, I don't know the percentages, but it was really the first big dose of like racial and cultural diversity that I had been a part of. Um, and yeah, both racial diversity of, yeah, People, people who grew up in nations in Africa, people who were um, black or brown who grew up in the States, as well as white-skinned folks who grew up overseas in different cultures as well. So it was just a really interesting sort of melting pot or environment where you had all these different kinds of cultures and races mixing together and not like... Yeah, kind of a uniquely missionary Christian space. Um, so one of the things that I, I'm embarrassed to admit is like we had this um, diversity week, I think once a semester. And I was very much raised in the sort of like, we don't acknowledge race. The goal is to be colorblind. And uh, diversity week was like this deeply offensive thing to me of like, we don't need to point out our, our diversity. That's defeating the purpose. Um, and so like the, the chapel band would change and it would, there would be like a gospel choir and students of color would get to sing or lead or things like that. And looking back on that 15 years later, like I'm both, both embarrassed by my like sort of vitriolic response against it, uh, of wanting basically to protect the, the white dominant space that our college was and the fact that it was so blatantly obvious. Like, like, why wasn't the gospel choir part of things normally? Like, why did it get reduced down to a week? Um, so now, now thinking about that as a church leader, um, I, I'm very, like, I think there's very few folks that we are going to interact with who are like, I'm against being a multi sort of church. I'm sure those folks are out there. Uh, I don't interact with them on a regular basis. Um so it's like this good aspirational goal. People are for it. People want to want to do it. Uh, but how do you not reduce it down to tokenism and diversity weeks or months? How do you, um, yeah, how do you deal with folks who are uh, who are like me and sort of just get deeply uncomfortable uh, when you start handing other people? power and platform and time and space um how much of a responsibility do we have to like coax them along and how much of a responsibility do we have to be like it's not my job to coax you this is just what we're doing <laughs> yeah I, th I think it's interesting because i feel like i am in some spaces where particularly when it comes to thinking about christian worship um there is an open question of do we want diversity and and those are black and brown spaces like folks who are black and brown and are progressive there is this there there are folks like me who would say yes this is 
feels like a mandate, feels like what the church is all about and was, you know, has been all about or should have been all about. Um, But I think there are lots of folks who would say, no, like we need healing spaces and we aren't going to find that or maybe can't, don't feel like we can find that in spaces that are really diverse and really multi. So I do think there are definitely populations in which it's, it's an open question of whether we what kinds of multis we want and which ones actually may harm us. Yeah, is multi, I think there can be a white perspective, so the racial reconciliation movement of multi means everything sort of blends together, but mostly with white overtones Um, and a suspicion at like, well, why... Why do all the black kids sit together at the cafeteria? Why, why, why do they need their own affinity space? Like, like, aren't we supposed to be diverse? Like, well, diversity doesn't mean the erasing of difference or the the inability of people from any of the multis we've talked about: economic, racial, cultural, international, liturgical, whatever, to not have a space that's safe for them. And I thought Dr. Law, uh, for listeners who didn't get the chance, we had uh, Dr. Eric Law, who wrote the forward to the book Multi, come and speak to us uh, one morning. And yeah, he got, I mean, he got pretty uh, adamant about the importance. Like he wants to sort of reclaim the word segregation, which I'm sure that's awesome exclamation marks points for people. But like, yeah, no, you need uh, safe spaces, spaces where people can really let their, yeah, let their hair hang loose, whatever, like whatever cliche. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, what we're attempting at the table does feel like, I, I often use this language, it feels like an experiment to me. Because I do think that there, for people who, you know, haven't been in power, whether that's around language or, I mean, e- economics um, or, or race, there is, there does feel like there's danger. And I think figuring out how to move through that into a broader vision that I think is about God Shalom um, is difficult and I think necessary. I So two images I loved um, from actually Eric Law, same person you're talking about who did the foreword to Paul's book. Um, in his, in one of his books, he, he focuses in on um, the scripture in Isaiah, the idea of the, the lion and the lamb laying down together. And he points out, that those things are not natural, right? They are moving against instinct for everybody involved. Like one side has to think about like, how do I move away from predatory tendencies? One side has to say like, how do I think about courage and faith in a space where I might be victimized? And And I think that that, is so true in multi-spaces that everybody in some way has to move against their instinct. And he also, in another book he has, um, I think it was called The Bush Bush Was Blazing, he talks about, he uses the image of Moses encountering the burning bush and how that fire burned but was not consumed and how, particularly with race, we often, and race relations, it often feels like a fire. This thing that we can't control that, you know, we are in danger of being burned by um, instead of a creative force. So what does it mean to trust in the sense that like, okay, we won't be consumed. Like we can see this fire as, uh, you know, except that it's a little bit threatening and yet can have this energy that we need. Um, I don't know. So I, I, I really needed those images and that language to think through some of this. Yeah. So question, the question you asked me back to you, 
what sort of multi-spaces have you been in? Yeah, uh, so I would say, and again, this book really um, made me think more about this. I would say the churches that I grew up in in North Carolina, predominantly black churches, were multi were multi economic. Um, they, you know, still at least in the city where I grew up in the South, um, the church regardless of how you interact with faith, the church is just a cultural element of many folks' lives. And I saw that there were, you know, I, I went to churches, you had doctors and you had lawyers, and you had people who were doing really well and you had folks who were not doing well at all and they rubbed shoulders and they interacted. And I definitely see, saw the beauty of that. And I also, um, now I can look back on it and think through the challenge of how did those preachers and pastors think about um, language appropriate for all of those groups of people oh, that were yeah, present. That's so hard. Like, it's such a yeah. It's a it's. I was gonna say gift, but that's not it. It's a skill. Like you've got to develop that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I if I'm t- I can't believe I'm gonna say this on on, on air, but <laughs> I think I came out of some of those spaces feeling um, like I wanted to be a little bit more intellectually challenged, but I wonder if it had to do with this, like when you're trying to go really broad, maybe you can't focus in on certain populations. And so I, there is a tension, I think for me around multi, like I've seen and experienced the beauty, multi-economic um, I've seen the beauty and I, I, it feels so, so difficult to do, to do that well. Um yeah, I would also say, in general, one of my most powerful experiences of church um, was spending time, I spent a lot of time studying Arabic and had a few experiences, summers, et cetera, months in countries um, that where, you know, Christianity was very much not a thing that was okay to practice. Uh, and so spent some time in underground churches. And so being in those spaces where like all the Christians of the city, like, it could be Western, you know, it could be Western Christians, American Christians. It could be, you know, folks who were from, you know, the Horn of Africa and were practicing Christianity. It could be folks who had converted from Islam, all in the space of that, that where everybody knew this is not completely safe. Um, and so that's the sense of being multi-narrative. And multi-theological was very present there. Like People believed all kinds of things. Yeah. But it was like, this was the space. This is how we do church. We've got to figure out like very basic um, uh, things that we orient ourselves around and, and then let the rest go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were talking about the, the multi-economic space. And I think that's one of the just super practical challenges for me as I think about worship and preaching and sort of the your large group Sunday experience of how do you ensure, like, I really love the way Paul Nixon talks about it. Like every Sunday, somebody should have a moment. That's like, "Mm, that was for me. And everybody should have a moment that it's like, "Mm, not for me. (laughs) And how do you do that? Well, without, I I think doing it not well means everybody walks out being like, what was that? Like it was for, it ends up being for absolutely no one. And that's hard. That's really hard. Uh, and that's like, I think, again, for the sake of our listeners, like one of the conversations that we're just in the midst of is like, what are our multis? What do we want them to be? Um, where are we kind of naturally good at? Where do we need to be stretched and grow? And we can't do it all. And we shouldn't buy into the illusion that we should or ought to do it all because we will will fall flat on our face. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. The the other thing that comes up for me around multi-economic, um, I have often heard, and you as a worship leader, I'm so curious about this, um, you know, but I have often heard folks of all backgrounds, really races, all that criticize how certain kinds of worship music can be repetitive. Uh, it's too repetitive. It it feels like you're they're trying to put you into a trance, like that kind of thing. And I also feel like in spaces that I grew up in, that music was really important for people who didn't have maybe um, at you know as much education as you know, like maybe weren't as great in, in terms of reading. Yeah. And I think allowed like my grandmother and great grandmother and people like that to like know these songs and by heart in a way that actually internalized their faith. So I think about some of those things too that. It's easy, um, you know, as folks in a community where lots of people have bachelor's degrees, like I think pretty overwhelmingly people have bachelor's degrees, to think about some of those things that really do help you internalize faith, um, to, to, to look down on them. Yeah, exactly. No, this came up in the, we did a worship planning team meeting this past week. And so Hillsong uh, over the years has been criticized for not being particularly theologically deep. And I think they responded to that by getting really wordy with their lyrics. So if you listen to a Hillsong United, Hillsong Worship, which is like their main service stuff, um, like they're just paragraphs of text. Um, and I like I, I think Hillsong, there's a thousand things we could say about Hillsong, but like most of their songs, I think, are pretty theologically astute, probably more than people give them credit for. But it's also because it's like, 200 words per song and what one of our worship planning team members brought up was just like you don't get any space to reflect like you're running out of breath by the end of the song <laughs> that's right and it's not memorable mm -hmm. by the end like you get a really maybe memorable chorus and the verses they're just like i can't remember there's no way um and i yeah as a worship leader like i've heard that critique too of some of the stuff that i've done over the years it's too it's too too repetitive, too repetitive. I'm like, have you read the Psalms? His mercy endures forever. Da 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 da. His mercy endures forever. Like that, that sort of uh, mode of songwriting works for a reason. Yeah. So yeah, back to your point of not looking down on that sort of way of singing and approaching lyric. Uh, I think that's going to be really important. I will say as we're talking that I think as a community, probably one thing we need to name more strongly, I think, you know, we talk about racism and we talk about sexism. We probably don't talk about elitism enough. Mm. And mm, dang, that's a good word. I say that as someone who really doesn't want to have a conversation, but knows like, as you talk about a lot of these multis, you have to address elitism um, and what it means to live in the city. Uh, as a part for many of us uh, on the more elite side of things. Yeah, I think that gets at a question uh, you had written down for one of our retreats that we haven't gotten to yet, which is as we grow as a multi-community, whatever those multis are, what is it that we're going to have to give up? And boy, elitism is such a temptation. Or I'll, I'll, I won't speak for anybody else but myself. Of Yeah, I've, I've got this, right? I've studied this for 20 years. I know the answers. Boy, that's a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about, I know you and I have talked about in, in different spaces, it gets named at the table that, you know, we, we want to be, 
you know, we talk about, you know, we, you know, in some ways, maybe we're post-evangelical or this or that. But it, if nothing else, I think we should be against fundamentalism. Like I think, and I think that elitism can play into a certain kind of fundamental fundamentalism that we often don't identify well. Uh, and they kind of go hand in hand, these fundamentals that we assume like, oh, yes, these these things are the truths because on this side of things, we know about science or we know <laughs> about, you know, we reason well and, yeah, no. So one qu- one more question about just the, the list of multis. Are there um, kinds of multi that Paul named that you would say, wow, this one I haven't even begun to approach. This one is feels really challenging or, you know, has a unique place in D.C. And yet, you know, we haven't even touched it. And I can name one for, for me, which is multilingual. I feel like for, it doesn't feel like as a community. Um that's something we've, you know, talked much about. May not be the right fit for us at this moment, but I think my family's moved to um, far northwest DC, um, right outside of Silver Spring, has really made me think a lot more about the languages that are present in the city and who is left out. Man, I love that's that's a multi that I do love because I've been in some multilingual spaces, mostly like uh, English Spanish bilingual spaces. I have a sister and her family who are. Uh, missionaries in, in Mazatlan, Mexico. And then where I grew up in Goshen, Indiana, was a had a vast uh Hispanic Latino population, mostly from Mexico. And uh so that that affected the like classes at the high school and it just affected everything. And so yeah, I've been in some multilingual worship spaces. I think they're beautiful. Like there's challenges and you're back to that how do you simplify your language and all those sorts of questions. Um but I, I think they're really, really interesting places where you, it, I don't know. I think it just does something to your brain or your head where you recognize your faith is much bigger than you, where the spirit, like when you, I don't know, say, try to say this, when it finally clicks that God speaks in all the languages or at least more than your own home language, um, it really lets the spirit out of a box, at least for it has for me. Uh, but who? That that changes just about every aspect of how you approach Sunday and small groups and justice and compassion. Like it affects everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think something I'm thinking about and not not knowing how to do especially well is the like multi-site and digital gathering spaces of I have long said basically since I've gotten to the table of man, man, there's just there are not enough spaces like these um in the in the country so we have folks they come to the table they move away they move to a place where they cannot find uh, a church that's queer affirming anti explicitly anti-racist not sexist whatever um well usually it's the that intersection of all of those things um so that's it's a it's a passion of mine of like oh i really want there to be more spaces like that um do you do it digitally? We're kind of accidentally stumbled our way into do it, do, doing it digitally. We've got folks who are watching from all over, um, but we don't do, we don't devote a lot of resources to them uh, pastorally and do specific small groups and all that sort of stuff. Um, is that the right answer? And uh, then in terms of like, all right, you know, table church, resurrection city, we're trying to figure out our own sh- stuff. 
And uh, what responsibility do we have, if any, to be like, and we want to see a place in uh, one place that's on my mind right now is just like Manassas, uh, Virginia. Uh, I know somebody who's out there. It's a good hour, hour and a half drive, depending on traffic. And they can't find a queer for many anti-racist church. Um, like, well, do we need to go like get a hotel ballroom for a Sunday and see what we can do? <sighs> that there's a part of me that's just like, okay, screw it, let's go. And the other part of me, it's like, oh, do we, are we just going to repeat the same sort of bad franchise kind of structures of of evangelicalism? Uh, yeah, and I'm just I'm wrestling with that internally a lot. Yeah, with with Resurrection City, the church that I pastor that is now merging into uh, the Table Church, we we did we we spent a lot of time discerning kind of where to be which ended up being kind of a moot point because it was a pandemic and we we met most mostly virtually but yeah we we never quite moved past the tension of what it meant we wanted to be rooted deeply deeply in a place in a neighborhood and recognize there aren't many spaces like this and so how do you talk about being translocal how do you talk about um yeah exactly what you're talking about yeah by default you have to be almost this regional church because people are going to find right. out about you. And right. yeah. So, and then does that just mean you hunker down like city center? Because you you just want to be as accessible as possible. Like, how does that affect how you think about place and kind of your neighborhood and where you want to take up roots? Yeah. So, on the inverse, what are the multis that you look at and you feel like we, we got to keep leaning in, pushing harder, um, make your heart beat faster? So, the three that immediately come to mind multi ethnic. Um, multi-generational, multi-theological, multi-ethnic. We've started work. There's a lot more work to be done. Uh, and with multi-ethnic, I put multicultural. I think those are related but separate things. Um, of their, I don't know, I've seen, and we're going to keep talking about this in the learning cohort, of white dominant spaces who aspire towards being multi-ethnic or multi-racial, multicultural. And... Like what I said earlier, that's just like a slightly more brown shade of white <laughs> uh, and white <laughs> white language dominates, white culture, white values dominate. Um, so that part excites me. Um, you and I and Mish spent some time in Denver at two different two different conferences that had two very different vibes. And the one what I came out of that week was like I feel much more excited. I felt much more of a on the cusp of something groundbreaking, kingdom breaking was in the space that was more black led, queer led. Like it was just so good. And it felt like something new and not just rehashing the same old stuff. So that multi-generational i came out of a multi-generational couple multi-generational churches it's something that the table doesn't have right now um and i think we miss out on a lot and the few um you know mostly older folks that we've had at the table they've added so much like everyone almost to a person it's like oh wow that was that wisdom that experience that um just people who are further down the 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 path are able to approach things without maybe the sense of like, I don't know, constant crisis that I approach things or younger people approach things. Um, and then multi-theological, I think the table does do a decent job of, um, I know a number of folks who don't consider themselves Christians and they find a place here and 
um, or people who come out of different faith traditions altogether, Jewish, Hindu, um, and find a place. And then all of that spectrum within Christianity of folks who they came out of Catholicism, Southern Baptist, everything in between, and were able to have these great conversations of talking about God and the divine and seeing things in new ways that other ways we would miss out on. Yeah, I mean, I think I mostly agree with you. I think the cluster for sure around multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural. And I, in this space, I really like talking about multicultural because I, I really want to, I really want people's cultures to show up fully in a space. And that, that could be, you know, you are, you know, you are white and you are from the South or you are from Brooklyn. It could be you are, I mean, all those, like the nuances of culture that is that, when people really bring their full selves, they're talking a certain way. Like when I'm around my people, I talk a certain way and it is not, you know, particularly professional. It is home. And so to experience that kind of deep, like we can be our full cultural selves in a space and we can start, you know, I love in Acts that the, the, it, when the spirit, when the spirit falls, that the Gal- the Galileans are speaking other languages in their own accent, right? There's a sense where you are starting to lean into other people's cultures, but you're not co-opting it. You're not appropriating it. You you know it and you respect it and you have some distance from it, but you're also learning it. And I long for that and just see the beauty of that. Um, I think, yeah, I, I also agree multi-generational, which is yeah, interesting. I feel like we don't talk about a ton. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I have a five-year-old and a four-month-old and I would, you know, love for them to have, um, grandparents and aunties and uncles in our community. And I do think there's a beauty when you have like college students who, um, are being deeply formed and are going to go out into the world and at the same time, you know, have a different rhythm to their lives so they can show up in a particular way or retired folks who can show up in a different way as opposed to, um, you know, I mean, right now, a lot of our community is folks who are kind of beginning to middle of their career, which is a particular pressure and stress. Um, that's why we need to talk about rest a lot. But I think when you have other people who are just in more restful phases or different phases of growth, I think it's it's particularly rich. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the one that uh, the other one that gives me joy and hope is the multi city. I I do have that starter church planter kind of heart and I don't want to be the McDonald's of churches. I don't think that's what the table needs to do, but I think figuring out how to seed other things um, that can shape the imagination of Christianity in America is pretty important to me. So some kind of framework of multi-city at some point really does excite me. I I talk a lot about imagination. Everybody's heard me talk a ton about imagination, right? Um, I think so many ideas that are rooted in American culture, secular American culture, come out of um, Christianity, right? Um, so an, an example, I, and I'll never forget this. I saw um, the Reverend Gene Robinson uh, speak at Foundry one time, and he talked about how you know, he had often heard the word abomination, like it had been hurled at him, abomination, you're an abomination, homosexuality is an abomination. And he's like, I realized that these people had never been to a church. 
they had they didn't they were not Christians, and yet that this very Christian like language idea had just so deeply infiltrated it that they were were using it and it was just a part of how they moved in the world. And I think that there are lots of ideas like that, the way we think about um, punitive justice, right? Like that God, you know, if you come out of a certain kind of Christianity, you've been taught that God punishes. Well, that has a huge effect on how we think about justice and the prison system and who we throw away and who's disposable. And I so I think that if you're then sowing different kinds of ideas and creating sustainable institutions who can sow more healthy ideas. And I don't mean that in some kind of dominant way, but I mean in partnership and conversation and mutuality. I think that that could be a very different, that could produce a very different version of American Christianity in the next few hundred years. Um, And it is it is a multi-generational kind of right. kind of move, but I, I hope the trajectory changes. Yeah, right. We've had uh, Christian Christendom and Christian supremacy built in since, yeah, early, 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 early on. Um, the, the doctrine of discovery from the Catholic Church and on forward. And yeah, there, it's, it talked to any historian worth their salt. And they will laugh at this idea of like, oh, you know, Christians just don't have any power over the culture. Like, are you getting? So what does it look like to not repeat that same sort of top-down Christendom approach, but rather have a grassroots, bottom-up approach that builds something new? And the thing I think about is like, how do you build in the structures that in 100 years from now doesn't become dominant and repeat the supremacy mistakes of of our forebears um my forebears anyway so like you know every 50 years every 100 years every church has to shut down and start over you know like i don't know i don't know but no i i i think you're exactly right about the structural piece i was just on a call with um a brilliant colleague activist who just does a lot around what are the structures we need in these spaces? So one of the things, and I felt a little silly, he, he was just naming things one after the other that I had never heard of, like circle process, which is just a way of meeting, right? Um, and a way of, it's a way of organizing a structure and it can be organizing conversations, but it moves away from kind of the triangle where there's one or two people at the top, a few people at the top to a circle where, you know, and there are roles in that circle. It's not as if there's a free for all, but it is a way of organizing differently. And I think we need a lot more of that too. I mean, if we, you know, any community that wants to think about multi, you've got to think about actual structures um, to, to not repeat the harm. Which puts uh, you and I's jobs at risk at some point. Yeah. Yeah. The whole organization of <laughs> you paid professionals at the top. It, of course, it's going to repeat sort of the, those structures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, Resurrection City used to have these like monthly justice hours that I, I there was a team of folks who organized that and I would just show up and they once had a panel so good. And one of the things they talked about with these with, were these structures and how they need to change it. I will never forget sitting in my chair on that goal like, OK, all right. Am I going to truly follow the vision that I think gets us, you know, or moves into into the kingdom of God, leans into the kingdom of God? Or am I just going to be like, yeah, I kind of like my job as it is. Like, <laughs> it was yeah, like right. this moment of like, I'm just going to be quiet in this chair, but I'm having a little bit of a crisis. Yep. Um, so, yeah. 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 
Yeah, I will say just turning turning the corner a little bit. One of the things that I that felt like a thread in Paul's book um, that I think in most of our conversations, like with the learning cohort, the elders, et cetera, we haven't talked a lot about. I was fascinated by. I mean, Paul comes out of church planting and starting things. He talks a lot about being rooted in the neighborhood and learning from neighbors. And as a newer person to the table, I realize I have a lot of a lot to learn about the ways in which the table has historically engaged with its neighborhoods, like the details of that, like the how have we and are we now trying to listen to neighbors and how do we structure those conversations and do we partner in ways that are just just for true completely the good of the community like and not really anything that's particularly about us so that was one thing that came up as a huge thread yeah yeah well that ties in back to theology of place and why we started with chocolate city in the history of dc of we we should I, we should be the kind of church that if someone were to pick us up and move us to detroit goshen indiana okaboji iowa naples florida that we would fail if we kept doing exactly what we were doing. Whatever is truly faithful, successful here probably is not going to copy and paste cleanly over to somewhere else. And as long as we have a structure, and I don't, th- I like, I don't think we do. But as long as we have a structure that cleanly copies and pastes and franchises, I'm wondering. I wonder how well we're doing at reaching the neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, I think becoming multi. And becoming neighborhood-based and all of that means we get weirder as we go. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a decent measurement of, like, health. I think the tension there then is, like, what that then does get um, transferred if we want to be multi-city, if we want to be in other places. And this is, that's another thread in, in the book as well of find whatever your common core is yeah. so that every uh, every branching out uh, still harmonizes with that common core. Yeah, I think that that is the crux, is the common core without minimizing difference. Um, yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Also need to just, disclaimer, multi-city is not anywhere near. <laughs> we, have, we have so much work right now. We have so much work um, to do. I know, I say that too. And then like then I just wonder, like, will we ever, you know, will we ever do it then? Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ana- analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have thought I've I've gone looking at ballrooms in Manassas. I'm just like, <laughs> what if what if we just did a ga- gathering one quarter? You know, like whatever, whatever the thing is. Yeah. I'm not sure of that part. We'll make it on the podcast. But <laughs> I'm rooting for Silver Spring. <laughs> Silver Spring. Yeah, exactly. Just like you do. Okay, once a quarter, we're doing Silver Spring. We're doing yeah. Fairfax. We're doing yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, what do we have coming up? What do we have coming up? So December is a bit of a break for the cohort slash um, the opportunity to read ahead. So January, we're moving a bit more, more obviously biblical theological. We're reading Bradley Jerzak's A More Christ-Like God, subtitled A More Beautiful Gospel, which is a phrase you've heard us all say before. And it gets at questions I, I at least hear a lot from folks around uh, the atonement, uh, what what was Jesus doing on that cross? What was it for? Uh, the nature of God, uh, God's character. Uh, why is the God of the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament seem so dramatically different sometimes? Um, and yeah, I'm so Bradley Jerzak has been a deep influence on my theology for over the years. And I'm super excited that he's going to join us on a call uh, at the end of the month. 
Then February, we're doing The Elusive Dream, uh, which is about interracial churches by Dr. Corey Little Edwards. That was her dissertation work. Uh, And just a deeply revealing and somewhat uh, condemning book on what happens when majority white churches attempt to be interracial. And it's research-based on It's research-based. So she uses her database of research. She uses a case study from an actual church. Um, and how even people with the best of intentions still end up propagating white values, white culture in interracial spaces. Uh, so yeah, really good read. I think absolutely necess- necessary for our people. That all sounds like fire, Anthony. So I'm super excited. All right. Well, thank you for joining.